Welcome to the Character Chronicles, the People Show, where we check the Pulse of Escalation, brought to you by X Cancer. Check them out at xcancer.com. Today, I got a special guest with me, former Nebraska quarterback, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, current Cincinnati Bengals head coach, Mr. Zach Taylor. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Dude, I want to thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you joining me. If, if, if people don't know, the Bengals just won the AFC North Division Championship. That's the first time they've done that since, I believe, 2015. Had a big win on Sunday versus the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid. What was that win like for you? This is your third year there, kind of a building process through year one and year two. What was that game and that win on Sunday like for you? It was emotional. You know, there's a lot of work that's been put in, uh, a lot of a lot of ups and downs, probably more downs than ups. Uh, but recently we've been playing really good football. And so, you know, I walked off the field. We were division champs. Uh, it's pretty emotional walking off the field in front of those fans. It was a similar emotion that I felt walking off the field my first year when we were 0-11 and we won our first game to go 1-11. Um, so, you know, different reasons why it's emotional, but yep. – um, you know, similar in some veins as well. Talk to me, because I actually got a chance to watch up until halftime of that game, and then I couldn't watch the second half. But at halftime, it was 28-17. It looked like the Chiefs might score 1,000 points. You know, obviously they've got some talent on that side of the ball on offense. What was the feeling like at halftime? Because you're playing for AFC North title. You're playing against, you know, a lot of the guys I just named. The Chiefs have been in two straight Super Bowls. What was the feeling like as you got ready to play the second half? Yeah, there was still great belief there. You know, we'd scored on our last three possessions on offense. Defensively, they had made a lot of plays. They'd made some great plays. And we knew at some point, you know, it was going to break our way and, and someone was going to step up and make a play and allow us to, to close that lead. And we got the ball to start the half, you know. So we went out and scored a touchdown to start the half, created the momentum that way, and then our defense had some big stops, um, capitalized by a big zero blitz in the red zone on really the last defensive play of the game that, that helped them to three points. And, um, so again, it was, it was belief. We've been down before we've come back and got into it. Um, we knew we could get it done. So at this moment in time, you got one more regular season game left to play versus the Cleveland Browns, but you're currently the number three seed. And then you will be hosting a playoff game at home that much. You do know for sure. I'm curious because you know, you're playing the Browns on, on Sunday before you get ready for the playoffs. Callahan's on that side. A guy that used to be your coach and a guy that we used to have captain's meetings with. What is it like <laughs> coaching against guys that you used to play against and you used to coach with and or against or play for? What's that like for you? It's, it's pretty wild, you know, to, to think of some of the guys that are still playing. You know, I've, I've coached Sue on two different teams now. Obviously not directly coaching him as he plays D-line, but I've been with Sue twice um, I play against Sam Cook twice a year, you know, for the last three years. So I always see in Texas Sam, um, you know, and then playing against my former coach, Bo Cowley, he's in the division. Coach is one of the best alliance in football. He's doing a heck of a job. His son is my offense coordinator. And so, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of those relationships uh, that you see around the league and you just get used to it. You know, it just becomes um, you're always playing against at this point a friend or even a family member in my case, my brother at the Colts. So uh, just something you got to get used to when you're coaching the NFL. I'm curious, and obviously it's been a while since you and I played at Nebraska. We're both getting kind of, you know, up to that geezerous type stage, or at least that's what my kids tell me. How much of that offensive playbook from Callahan, from Nebraska, if if any at all, do you use in your current offensive system with the Bengals? 
Not much. Um, there, there's maybe a couple terms that, that people would, would be able to understand, but um, overall, I'd say it's pretty different. We, we tried to start over from scratch and just make it the Bengals playbook when we got here and um, make it to where it was it was the simplest thing we could learn for new free agents that come in, new rookies that came in, and um, so far it's worked out well for us. So you've got a former Nebraska coach on staff there, so I'm curious, how has former Nebraska wide receivers coach Troy Walters, okay, now Bengals wide receiver coach for you on staff there in Cincinnati, how has he, how's he been doing there with you guys in uh, Cincinnati? He's been phenomenal. You know, he's really helped set the standard in that room. You read about our receivers every single week. You know, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. There's a reason for that. They got great talent, and Troy's helped them reach that potential at an early age. Um, you know, he keeps them consistent with their work ethic and their routine, which, which as you know, can be challenging for some young players as they get in the league. But um, Troy's really been a difference maker on our staff, and fortunate that he's not in Nebraska anymore, and he's here with us. Talk to me about Jamar Chase, okay? And it's interesting because Mickey Joseph, who was a Nebraska quarterback, early 90s, coached at LSU, coached Jamar, recruited Jamar at LSU. Now he's back here coaching with Nebraska as of this upcoming season. He actually had an interesting recruiting story where Jamar was going to talk to Auburn uh, after he was done talking with Mickey, who was at LSU at the time, and he just kept Jamar on the phone forever. I think he said, I, I could be wrong. I think he said until like 2 a.m. Like he wasn't going to let him off the phone and talk to anyone else before signing day. But talk to me about a guy like Jamar Chase. I mean, I wrote down just his last two games. Last two games, 125 receiving yards. And he also set the rookie record with 266 receiving yards uh, in the in your very last game versus the Chiefs. This is a guy that won the Bolitnikoff in college. Talk about a guy like that who's just... He's taking over ball games right now. You know, he really has. And he's got great chemistry with Joe, so he really hit the ground running. But he's just been a professional since day one in the building. Um, he, he quickly understood the playbook. He knows the nuances of route running and how to set up DBs. He's really strong. He's almost like a running back in his lower body and that he can separate people, and he's really physical at the point of attack and physical with his route running. And, and he can finish plays. You know, he saw the first touchdown he scored against the Chiefs. He outran about, you know – nine different guys all the way to the end zone, you know, 60-something yards on the field. So uh, he's a spectacular player, and, and we're happy he's ours. Talk about a guy like Joe Burrow, a guy who has, as most people know, Nebraska ties. In his last two games, he's kind of gone off as well. He's thrown for 525 yards plus 446 yards, nearly 1,000 yards combined in the past two games, him and Jamar. They seem to be just repeating what they did at LSU in 2019. They're just doing it a couple years later here in the NFL with you at the Bengals. Talk about a guy like Joe Burrow who had to bounce back from a major injury a year ago. Yeah, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he's only in year two and and uh, missed part of his rookie season. So just the way he goes about things, uh, he's got a great edge to him You know that everybody feeds off of. He always steps on the field knowing he's prepared and confident that he's going to get the job done, and the team feels that. I think the city feels that, the whole organization feels that, and and when you got it, you know that that's something really special, and, and that's what we've got with Joe. So you mentioned the first couple of years, you know, weren't the most uh, phenomenal win win wise. I think you had six wins the first two years. Obviously, year three, you've been able to get it going in a much uh, better, happier direction, winning the AFC North title. So we got a coach here at Nebraska, and I'm not asking to talk specifically about Frost, but he's trying to do the same thing. But just in general, if you're trying to turn a, a football program or franchise around, what have you found to be some of the biggest keys in your experience in doing so? 
all holding the core of your team together, you know, and, and finding the right leadership and intangibles mixed with talent um, of guys that can, can kind of pull in all corners of the locker room. Cause you're always going to have those fringe players who are half in and half out if things are good or bad. And yep. you got to have that great group of leaders that can keep everybody tied in at all times. And cause it's hard for the coach to be able to do that all the time. So um, we found the right, the right core group of leaders that we've drafted or signed in free agency that have done that. Um, I got a lot of belief in Scott and what he's doing there and that he's going to be able to get that done too. Just, just having going through that facility and seeing his interaction with the players and, and the staff that he's got there. So it's not easy and it, and it takes time. And, um, you know, the great things worth having, they don't come very easy and it's going to take some, some bumps and bruises along the way, but just seeing how close they were in a lot of those games this year, you know, I, I feel very confident they're going to turn the corner very quickly and people are going to be very happy that, that Scott's the head coach there. So you guys have been able to win a lot of close games this year. And obviously Nebraska was in a lot of close games last year. What have you found to be key in those, you know, those pressure pack situations with the games when they are close? How do you kind of get over that hump and, and win some of those games? Well, people would say that about us the last two years that we didn't win those games, you yeah. know, and all of a sudden you just win one and it starts to snowball from there. There's the belief you win one, one game, maybe you blow a team out and then you want to run the next game with the last second field goal. And then you win that you have a comfort behind win. And now the team sees um, the proof is in the pudding. We can win a lot of different ways. And then that just snowballs throughout the season. And, uh, and again, as I watch Nebraska, I see the very same thing, you know, they're right there on the fringe. They're going to get those wins and it's going to snowball into a great season. Do you have any memories or maybe untold stories you'd be cool with sharing the fans at, with the fans at home from your time at Nebraska. Yeah, one of one of my favorite moments was Corey Ross was one of my favorite players I played with. You know, he had a great personality, uh, pork chop. He was a great running back. He was a kick returner for the Ravens for a couple of years there in the NFL. And and in his last game, we're playing Michigan in the Alamo Bowl. He's probably played in 48, 49, 50 games as a starter. I remember the call, we got the lead. Uh, we're trying to run out the clock. There's like two minutes and 10 seconds left. I'm under center. And I can hear Corey behind me with the clock running down saying, hey, just take it to the two-minute warning. Take it to the two-minute warning. I remember turning around <laughs> saying, there is no two-minute warning in college football. Yep. Corey, you should know that by now. Yep. So, you know, it's a, you know, so obviously we had snapped the ball and then punted. And, and I'm sure Shanley or Riggs or somebody made a great play on the on the uh, from the gunner spot and, and got us great field position. We won that game. But... Um, you know, I always thought that was a great story about Corey. So I, I don't know if you ever knew this. I was a high school quarterback and we didn't win a lot of games, but we were going to win this particular game. We just had to run out the clock. So I'm like, I'm watching, I'm just staring at the play clock. I don't see anything else in, on planet earth. And I'm just watching it tick down. And then, you know, I'm taking the knee, I'm getting ready to take the knee. And the ref turns to me and he goes, the game clock isn't moving. You can just snap the ball, son. You know, so it's one of those things you get in those moments and you get so focused in on one thing and you, you forget about all these other things. So, Oh, there's no question. You're not the first person that's happened to. I can promise you that. Plenty of quarterbacks bleed down the play clock, not realizing that the game clock's not moving. So uh, certainly not the first guy that's ever done that. How many times did you line up under the guard? You know, that, that's, that's a usually <laughs> popular one that, that tends to happen to people. I did that a couple of times, actually, in middle school. Our center was, I'm just going to be honest with you, you know, our center was a girl. So for me, as being a young kid, I was, you know, it was a little weird for me. It was a little <laughs> weird even when it was a, was, a, was a guy, you know, just, you know, as a quarterback, you got to put your hand up under there. It's a little unusual, you know. So for me, that's just kind of what I remember from that. But That's a, that's a unique situation. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a, For sure. So you actually shared a pretty cool story. Um, immediately following the game on Sunday versus the Chiefs. 
you raced to your son's basketball game. And I'll let you tell the story because I thought it was pretty cool when I read it. But why don't you go ahead and talk about getting to your son's game and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, you know, my son usually plays on Saturday or Sunday. And so I, I missed all of his spike football games this year. Um, I never get to see him play on Sunday in basketball. I've seen one game on a Saturday, but usually we're on the road or practicing. So um, I knew he had a 5 o'clock game. Uh, it was 30 minutes away because of the traffic after the game. Usually usually a game ends about 4-something. I sit in my office for about two hours, and I head home. And, and uh, I knew he had a 5 o'clock game, so I wanted to make it. So I got in my car. I didn't realize what kind of traffic I was going to be dealing with coming out of the, the Chiefs game. So I started driving on the shoulder of the road, you know, kind of speeding by people. Um, got to the game a little bit after halftime. They were just breaking halftime, and he was sitting on the bench. And so um, I ran over, and I put my AFC North championship hat on his head. You know, he didn't know I was there, didn't expect me to be there. and So I gave him the hat, and I went and sat in the bleachers, and, and uh, he had a big smile on his face. And um, and then they finished off with an overtime win. So it was a good day for the Taylor household. And correct me if I'm, I'm mistaken, but didn't he have, like, the assist that led to the to the game-winning points at the end of the game as well? Yeah, yeah, that often celebrated uh, game-winning assist, you know. So our next-door neighbor here on the same AU team, and so he drove the lane. And, and as the defenders came to him, he, he had a nice little bounce pass to his buddy Graham, and Graham laid it in for the game-winner. So uh, they came out victorious. That's awesome. Last question I got for you. All right, I wasn't the most vocal guy in college, okay. Did you ever see Adam Carriker as having his own show one day? <laughs> no, I just remember you, uh, when my wife was working for media relations, she's always trying to get you for interviews. It was always, you were hard one to track down for. So, uh, no, to see you in the media, um, no, I don't think I, I ever point on that. So, uh, but, but of course you've got the ability to adapt to any, any situation and role and, and, uh, you know, you play some defensive end, you played a little bit inside, you could sack the quarterback from anywhere. So not surprised that you're able to adjust to life after football. I appreciate that. You're actually being very kind. So his wife, Sarah, is very, very nice. And there was one day, and I, I truly, truly did not like public speaking, truly did not like talking to the media, wanted nothing to do with it. She comes up to me, and it's really out of character for me because I was raised, you honor your word, you ain't got nothing. But on this particular day, I remember having a bad day. I remember I didn't want to talk to anybody. And Sarah goes, hey, could you do this interview for me upstairs on whatever it is, the third, fifth floor, I forget what it was. I said, sure. And I proceeded to walk right outside of the building as soon as she walked away. And I walked all the way around the entire like stadium to avoid seeing anybody. I'm in the hot tub about an hour later, and I see her walk in. And they had just built everything in the South. And she is... She is, she is not walking slowly. She is pissed. She is mad. Her face is red. I don't know if it's because she's cold or she's mad. I think it was both. And she walked in and just ripped into me like a monkey on a cupcake, which I deserved in the hot tub. You told me you were going to do this. You don't lie to me. So that's the full story. You, you told the much nicer, shorter version. Uh, I never did that again, by the way, but <laughs> tell Sarah I said hi. I don't think you were the only one, so I wouldn't feel bad about it. All right, man. I appreciate your time. Good luck against the Browns and good luck heading into the playoffs. Awesome. Thanks, AC. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Till next time, Husker Nation. Go Big Red. And always remember, throw the bow.